We're starting a, a new series this morning called Perfect, and uh, we're so excited about uh, the next three weeks and just really what God's um, kind of put on our heart and uh, wanted to share with you. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a very, very competitive person when it comes to sports. Uh, anything we can make into a game, uh, all of a sudden the stakes change, and I'm like, all right, let's do this. You know, if it's a challenge, a dare, a bet. Uh, and so this year, our staff, we wanted to do some camaraderie. We wanted to do some fellowship, some stuff that just bring us together. And so uh, we came up with fantasy football. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever played fantasy football before, uh, understand the concept, and I'll basically kind of do the summary, uh, investigate it for yourself. But um, So what you do is you get to make your own fantasy football team. You get to pick two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, a quarterback, a defense, and a kicker. And you do it like a draft, like they do in the NFL. And you go, uh, you, get, you get to sign a number, 1 through 12, and they go through, and I could pick a running back first, I could pick a wide receiver first, I could pick whatever. So I've never played fantasy football before, but my theory is go big or go home, and when I'm going to do something, I'm going to go all out, because I want to win. And Pastor Andrew Price is playing against me, so that even more so, I have to win. But he's so excited. He's like, I'm so ready for fantasy football because I'm actually good at something, and I'm going to beat you this year. So then that brought on the challenge. And so you know what I did? I, I just did every bit of research I could do. I was like, I'm going to have the perfect fantasy football team. I pulled up the stats, the 2012 stats, the projections. I pulled up like ranking orders for all the positions and who you should pick and what should you pick running backs first or wide receiver. I mean, I just did it all. Stayed up late, printed off, highlighted. I mean, I wanted to have the best team. I wanted to have the perfect fantasy football team. Got the injury reports, and so we went through and chose, and I just want to say I'm beating Pastor Andrew right now. So that's a plus. Um, y'all don't tell him, but I think his wife's in here, so she's probably going to tell him. Uh, but, it, but it's also like, you remember as a kid in elementary school when you picked dodgeball or softball or something, right? You, what did what'd you do? You lined all the kids up on the fence, right? And then you get probably the two best players to pick the team. And, and so there's always that awkward moment where you're getting down to just a handful of people. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And when you're the captain, it's really awkward because then you, you know somebody's got to be last, don't they? And then you don't even want to, as a captain, look them in the face because you're just so, so ashamed to pick them. And so you're going and it gets down to like two people and, and somebody's got to be last and you're like, uh, there's this guy and that guy, I'll take that guy. And you don't even like look at the guy in the face because, you know, somebody has to be last. And so our theory is, okay, when we're on teams, right, you compete to be the what? The best. Whether that's football, cheerleading, competition, whatever you do, I mean, in your business, you want to be the best in, in whatever organization you work for, you want to be successful. And, and the truth of the matter, if we had the choice that we could be perfect in certain areas, I believe we would. You agree with that? If I said, ladies, I have this cream that if you just put on your face, it will give you perfect skin. How many of you ladies would say, sign me up, I'll take some right now before we leave, right? That's just the way we're wired. Um, 
If, if I told, uh, or you told me that, hey, Jared, uh, I've got this stuff right here. If you um, take this and rub it on your head, you'll have hair like Matt Bartlett. I would rub it. You can have perfect hair. I'd be like, sign me up. And, uh, and so in everything that we do, we want to be successful, don't we? I mean, we want to be the best. Um, and so... We thought, you know, in the series, there, there's just this pressure. There's this pressure that we have as, as men uh, to be great husbands, uh, to be great in our jobs, and, and as women to be, you know, great moms and be successful in, in the business world and have the perfect families and have kids who act perfect. And, you know, there's just all these things that we're pressured to do and we want to be the best. Why? Because we live in a society that that's what we're told we have to do. I mean, when you check out at Target and you go to Walmart and there's the magazines sitting there and you see the women on there, ladies with the perfect skin and they're just all done up and, you know, it's, it's called Photoshop. That's what it's called. It's called Photoshop. Uh, we have a, a business, my wife and I, we do photography, but we meet with brides all the time and um, they always, you know, sometimes will show us pictures of like, oh, I love this and then this is so pretty and I'm like... Yeah, there's a lot of work been put into that in the computer. And I remember one of the girls, um, she had her pictures done and she was showing them. And she said, what do you think? Tell me what you think. And she's like, the picture is awesome. Doesn't look anything like you, but it's awesome. Because it's been photoshopped so much. And that's just what happened in our society. You know, we can slim them down. We can tuck what we need to tuck. We can remove freckles. We can do all this thing just to get the perfect complex. And so... We, we want to we be the best. We want to have great things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we have these TV shows now that are so popular where we take a panel of judges, and we set them down in front, and we have contestants come out, and we tell them how good they are, right? I mean, think about it. All the popular shows now, uh, you got American Idol, you got The Voice, you got X Factor. Basically, what they do is they get on a stage like this and they sing or perform some type of thing. And we, we vote and say, you're the best. You've got my vote. That, and they say, that performance was flawless. That performance was just perfect. But what's true is that there really aren't many things in our life that are perfect, are there? I mean, I don't know about you, just a day in the life of Jared Grantham at my house, a lot of things, you know, go wrong. Um, I mean, hey, you could pitch a perfect baseball game, right? A no-hitter, what they call it. But if we really wanted to get down into the nitty-gritty, we could say, well, you know, if it was perfect, you really wouldn't have thrown any, any balls, right? There wouldn't have been any foul tips. It would have been all strikes. 81 pitches, man. You doing 81 pitches? I believe that I did my math right. Uh, and, and then, we'll, then we'll call it even, and that, that will be a perfect game. Maybe you could have an 18-hole um, score in putt-putt, you know, hole-in-one on all 18 over there on Berkeley. Yeah, okay, that's perfect. I remember I was playing in a golf tournament in Mebane, North Carolina, and um, I did a lot of golf in high school tournaments. And I was playing well, but I was putting horribly. Now, many of y'all that play golf, you know, like, it just comes and goes. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. You never know what you're going to get until you show up. And I was hitting the ball very well. And I, on hole number nine, I was a par five, and I hit it on in two, and I was putting for eagle. And I was so excited because I'd been putting so bad. I was like, if nothing else, I can two-putt, right? And I can two-putt and at least get a birdie. That's what I was thinking. So I hit it on in two, missed the first one, missed the second one. 
I might have missed the third one. I can't remember if I got a par or bogey. And I was so mad. I was just so mad. And my dad, he um, was out there watching me, and we were walking between hole nine and hole ten, and we got like a drink at the clubhouse in the turn. And I was like, man, this is, I was just, you know, venting to him to how frustrated I was. And he said these words to me. If you hit it, to, if you hit it closer to the hole, maybe you wouldn't putt so bad. Way to encourage me, pops. And so, so I was mad about that. So we got up, and then everybody hit before me because I just scored the worst, you know, score on the last hole. And 152 yards downhill, green slightly sloping uh, towards us. And everybody hit, and I got up, took the eight iron. Normally tried to play a draw this time. I think I probably missed it, mishit it, and hit a little fade in there, and it landed two feet behind the hole, took one hop, and backed up right into the hole, a hole in one. And I looked over at him and said, is that close enough for you? <laughs> and I was like, I hit the perfect, you know, it's the perfect shot. Those of you that play golf, the hole in one's the perfect shot, but really, is it? I mean, you could have just flew it into the hole. Wouldn't that have been even cooler, even better? I mean, you think about scores in, in uh, sports. The Dolphins, 17-0, 1972, right? Undefeated. The perfect game. But then we could say, well, they could have scored more points, right? It could have been better. Even our best attempts at what we do sometimes fall, and probably more than sometimes fall miserably. Um, my wife and I were married in October um, 2006, and we went on our honeymoon in November because of her work. So we had this great plan. We were going to St. Martin. It was going to be the perfect honeymoon. You know, I'm talking like sitting on the beach, um, virgin pina coladas, you know, feet in the sand, going to eat at nice restaurants, just, you know, no work. It was just going to be perfect. And so started off a little rocky. We uh, went to rent a car. And if you've ever seen the movie Just Married, uh, the car that they got in, which was about that long, and about this wide, and if you needed to move it, you could just pick it up and turn it around. Open up the hood, runs off of eight AA batteries. Um, you know, one of those types of cars. And so, you know, it got a little rock, rock, uh, rocky start. The day was great, though. We uh, sat on the beach and had our own little private cove and watched the sun set. And we went to this restaurant where you go and actually pick out your own lobster you want to eat. It wasn't like the chef chooses. You just go to the tank and you tell them what you want. I'm like, this is awesome. This is perfect. Because I love lobster. And they cut it and they put all that, you know, seasoning on it, bring it out to your table. It's just going great. And so I was like, you know, we're going to go back to the hotel, you know, first night on our honeymoon. You know, it's going to be perfect. And I just leave it at that. And so we, we you know, we go and um, I'm like, we need candles. I need, I need some candles. Like, this is going to make it better. So I'm looking through the drawers and I'm looking in the cabinets and they've got hurricane candles. You know, like when the power goes off in the tropical um, places. And so we get the hurricane candles out and I'm like setting them out, you know, and then I'm looking around. I'm like, ah, cannot find any matches. Cannot find a lighter. I'm like, so I'm looking and looking. We can, just can't find them. So I call out. I'm like, maybe the front desk has some. So I'm like, not going to let this ruin it. You know, call the front desk. And uh, I said, hey, do you guys have any matches? Do you have any lighters? And they were like, oh, let me look, let me look. And they go through. And they're like, no, I'm sorry, we don't have any. And so I was like, okay. So, you know, didn't work out quite like I wanted. Well, uh, 10 or 15 minutes, you know, passed. Enough time where we had, you know, forgotten about the candles. And um, I hear... 
Yeah. Uh, I've got your matches. We're good. Come on, I'll be quick. Just let me, I'll come light them for you. No, we're good. Go away. <laughs> come on, it won't take but just a second. You want me to light them? No, please go away. Okay, I'll set them at the door for you if you want them. And even our best attempts to just do we can go through all the plans. We can put all this time and effort and energy to it. It's just really not in us to be perfect, is it? I mean, I think about in our jobs, all the preparation for a presentation and that ends up lacking. You put all that time and effort and planning into the vacation that's just going to be perfect and you come back with all your money lost and more hair gone and just frustrated because everything went wrong and, you know, the perfect date goes wrong. I mean, it's just not really in us to be perfect, is it? But here's the thing. We look in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus actually says for us to be perfect as though our Father in heaven is perfect. So what does this mean? I mean, is this, is this possible? I mean, is this even attainable? And then we look at the story in Genesis, right, with Noah. And we know the story of Noah. He gets on the boat, saves all the animals, right? Flood, redemption, God, sovereign to Noah. And I mean, Noah's awesome. And the Bible actually says that Noah was perfect in his generation, but then... If you remember, Noah gets drunk, right? Takes his clothes off. They find him naked. And it's like, you know, totally deflates the theory that there wasn't real wine in the Bible because, you know, when the clothes start coming off, that's real wine, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, what does that mean, right? He's naked, he sins, but he's called perfect. So our passage this morning, if you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to kind of start off. Uh, Verse 9 through 13. And really kind of piggybacks on what we talked about last week. Um, Pastor Phil didn't even know uh, that was the scripture passage, but this is the story of instant and immediate life change. I'm talking like total uh, transformation. Someone who did not look back. And so we're going to find out really what God is looking for, what he expects over the next few weeks. And um, I think it's good to know the background of this story. It was uh, written by a guy named Matthew in the book of Matthew, about Matthew. So, here we go. Uh, Jesus has uh, had some ministry going on prior to this passage. Uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John have been called as disciples, and, and all this ministry is taking place. And right before this, Jesus goes through and he heals um, a paralytic, somebody who's been paralyzed. And so they're walking along, and we see what happens in verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there... He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, uh, maybe you've been in church before and you've heard how tax collectors were just so bad. Like the heathens, they're the bottom, they're the low of lows. You just, all throughout growing up, maybe you've heard that. Uh, Well, it's interesting to know why tax collectors were considered so bad. See, tax collectors... um, in Rome, what they did, they sold the right to collect the taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire. Okay, And so what they would do is you could buy a, a role, you could buy that job for your region to collect the taxes for the Roman Empire. And then what you did is add a surcharge on top of the tax to make a profit for yourself. 
And so, you know, you could charge whatever you wanted, and they, they had these booths that were set up, and most of the times they had uh, Roman um, guards that were there with them that made, sh- made sure that they collect the taxes. And they tax all kinds of things, things that you and I get taxed for today, and food, and, and possibly, you know, some type of roads, you know, all kinds of different things that they were taxed. But what would happen is the Romans would actually hire Jewish people to collect the taxes on behalf of them. And so if you were a Jew and you took a job collecting taxes for the Romans, for the Jews, you were a traitor. I mean, you were considered like, why would you do this? Why would you go against this? You were evil, you were wretched, you were despised, you were a thief, you were the bottom of the bottom, right? You were the lowest of lows. And so here's the thing, Matthew being the tax collector, was an, he was not an accidental sinner, right? I mean, he was an on-purpose, do it for a living, make as much money as you can. And, and if you were a tax collector and you were Jewish, then you were an embarrassment to your family, right? Your family didn't want anything to do with you. Your friends didn't want anything to do with you. Uh, you were considered unclean. You couldn't go into the outer court of the temple. Um, and so he's sitting there, and they're walking by Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus looks at him, right? Doesn't give us any, any preface of what happens before this. Jesus just looks at Matthew, the most unperfect person that we could probably even find by, by the standards of that day. And he says, follow me, right? Uh, the statement that he said, you know, to, to Peter and to Andrew, call him to be fishermen, but he says, follow me. And what's interesting to know is this. Jesus did not say, all right, Matthew, I want you to do this. I want you to give all your money back. Every penny that you've ever taken, you can keep what you've ta- uh, made for yourself, but what you've made over and above that you've been ripping people off, I want you to give that back. And if you do that, then you come and follow me. He didn't say, hey, Matthew, do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you know the old law? you know what was written? Well, can you go through and recite those? And if you can recite those, i tell you what, you come on and follow me. No. He didn't say that. He just said, follow me. He didn't say, can you pray a prayer, repeat after me, or, or, or you know, like the rich young ruler. He didn't say, if you'll just give all your possessions away and, and give them to the poor, then you can follow me. He just looked right at him. And he said, follow me. Now, I don't know what it was about those words. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was the eyes. He just knew something was different. But I believe when Jesus looked at him, Matthew just saw something inside of Jesus. And he'd never seen in anyone before. Maybe he had seen him do ministry before. Maybe he had heard about him. But when he called this man, he saw potential in this imperfect person, Matthew. And so Matthew got up and he followed him. And he pushed his chair back. He got out from behind his table. And Jesus didn't go through and list out everything that he had done wrong. He didn't say, you know, Here's what you did, here's what you did, here's what you did. He didn't go through like he did the woman at the well and say, you know, you have one husband, no, you got two, no, you got five husbands, and the one you're with now and your husband. He didn't list all those out. He just said to this imperfect person, follow me. I mean, you would think that Matthew just even getting up and following Jesus would have been admirable in some sense, right? I mean, here's a guy who had a lot. Here's a guy who had wealth, probably had a nice house, 
And for him to step back away from all that and just follow Jesus, you would think that by the, the, the standards of that day, the Pharisees, the religious people, the people who thought that they knew the law, had it all together, you know, thought they would uh, be able to trick Jesus. I mean, these were people that were just rigid to the T. got to follow the Old Testament, don't do nothing wrong, but then miss the big, bigger picture of what Jesus was trying to do. You would think by those standards they would go, that, that's, that's admirable that he would even just go and follow Jesus. But he didn't get that. Now here's, here's what's so, so, so important. Don't miss this this morning. When you think about it, Jesus never, never called one Pharisee or one scribe to be a disciple. Jesus never called one person that was religious or, or thought they had it all together he never called somebody that was considered in those days, whether as a priest or, or a religious person, he never called them to be in his inner circle in his 12. And I think that's good news for us today, isn't it? The people that thought they had it all together, that wasn't his priority. It was those people who were far from him, those people who were far from perfect. Now, this is so opposite of us, Right? I mean, could you imagine lining all the kids up in elementary school on the fence? And you're the captain. You're, you get to choose first. And instead of going for the guy who happened to hit his growth spurt quicker than everybody else, you know, the guy who played in middle school or elementary school and they're like, he's in fifth grade? Are you sure? Like, how many times did he fail because he's so big? You go after the underdog. Right? You go after the most unsportsman, the most uncoordinated, the person who isn't good at all, and you go, that's who I want on my team. That's who I want on my team. If it was NFL in, in, the, in the draft or fantasy league and you get the first choice, instead of going for Peyton Manning, you go, let me pick somebody off the injured reserve list. They're probably not even going to play this year. That's who I want on my team. They'd go, what are you, are you crazy? That doesn't even make sense. And by those standards of that day, they're looking at like, how did these people, how does these imperfect people make it into Jesus' circle? It's because Jesus saw something in them. And we'll get to that in just a moment. And so that's what he did. I mean, he could have chose people that were so knowledgeable of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. I mean, he could have he gone after the people in the temple that were there every day praying, studying the scriptures, looking at what the Old Testament prophets were saying. But Jesus went against everything that that society said. And he chose Matthew. And can I, and can I tell you this this morning? Jesus, he chose you too. He looked at us and our flaws and our weaknesses, he looked at us and all our failures and our baggage and our garbage and our junk and our sin. And he said, that's who I've come for. No matter what you've done, where you've been, you say, I've got a list this long and it's longer than any person in here. Jesus chose you and he came for you too. Because God uses imperfect people to display his power and his glory. And so Matthew, he gets up. Now, the other thing that's interesting to note is, you know, the Roman guards typically that would sit there to make sure that they took up the, the taxes. He didn't say, you know, I'm going to be back. I'm going to go see what this guy right here wants. Uh, can you just watch this? Or, you know, let me just go see where they're going. Hold on to this. Make sure. Nobody. He just gets up and he just goes and he follows him. 
And, and so it makes me wonder, you know, did Matthew see Jesus before? Did he see some miracle that he did and just think, I'm too far from perfect. I can, I can never be that person. Or did he look at him and go, you know, if I ever have a chance to have an encounter with that guy, if he ever comes to me, I'll leave everything to follow this, this man. Maybe he just word got back to him. And so where do they go? They don't go to the temple. They don't go to, Matt, uh, to Peter. They don't go to Andrew, James, or John's house. They, they don't do any of that. They go to some place that's familiar. They go to Matthew's house. And in verse 10, it says this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, <laughs> watch this statement, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples. Now, this is, <laughs> this is so interesting. Maybe you've never seen this because I didn't. There's two categories here, right? There's tax collectors and then there's sinners. There's, there's different categories of sinners. I mean, you could be a prostitute, a murderer, beat your children, cheat on your taxes, the most, you know, uh, the meanest person on the planet, and you're just a sinner. But if you're a tax collector, you've got your own category. Which goes to show with everything going on in the IRS, hey, maybe it wasn't too far off, right? <laughs> and I'm sure the NSA is probably recording that. Anyway, all right. Uh, <laughs> and here's the thing. These were not accidental sinners. I mean, these are people that Matthew hang around, that hung around with, right? People like him. And they're here with Jesus. These weren't people that, you know, were like us, you know, accidentally drove eight miles over the speed limit and got a ticket type of person, right? These weren't people that, oh, you know, I'm sorry, officer, I was really on my way to church and I just forgot what time it is. I was running late. You know, please, I didn't mean to. Or, you know, this isn't a person that's just accidentally, you know, told something that was going on at work and was gossiping about their, their neighbor or their coworker. Uh, it, it wasn't a, I was at the party, had, you know, one too many drinks, things just got out of hand, you know, Lord forgive me, it wasn't a, you know, ah, I walked right out of church and stole that bridge pin, uh, didn't mean to, accidental sinners. No, these were people who unrepentant, didn't care, on purpose, made a living sinners. And these are the people that Jesus hung around. Talk about imperfect. Now, I'm sure that the disciples were thinking like, this is not a good idea, right? I mean, our reputation. Jesus, have you really thought about, look who's hanging out. Have you heard about, you know, this girl and all the things that she's done? Have you heard about? I mean, it doesn't say that, but you just think being in that environment around those people. I mean, you put you in a group of people that you're never around and kind of unfamiliar. It's, it could be a little awkward. But Jesus was comfortable. Don't, don't miss this. Jesus was so comfortable around people that were nothing like him. And here's the other thing, which is a challenge to us. The people were, that were nothing like Jesus, the people that were far from perfect, were comfortable around him. So verse 11 says, when the Pharisees, 
Now, these, again, the righteous, religious, thought they were perfect, had it all together, strict by the Old Testament law, don't work on the Sabbath. I mean, calling Jesus out, you, sh- you know, don't heal this man on Sabbath. When they hear, and, and word gets back to them, right? Word gets out, and they're, they're got to come check it out. they got to say, man, i got to see what's going on here. Now, I don't know if this was like a hut, a tent, if what type of building they were in, but they're, they're at Matthew's house, and it's probably nice for their time. It gets back, and they saw this, and they asked the disciples. They don't ask Jesus, because he's probably in there, you know, hanging out with them. Who knows what they're talking about, cutting up. Gets back to them, and they asked the disciples, why does your teacher, here's, here it comes again, hang around with tax collectors and sinners? Not just sinners, tax collectors and sinners. Again, they're the worst type of people. <laughs> this is so funny. I, I mean, I'm not sure if it was one of those like supernatural moments where Jesus like, oh, somebody's talking about me and they're saying, you know, just type no things or, or maybe they're talking too loud like the sheet hanging over the door wasn't thick enough, not a sound barrier and he heard or, or just the word got back through some of the disciples that went out and saw the, the Pharisees talking and, and they were like, you know, what are they saying? But nonetheless, the word gets back to them and they're like, why is he hanging out with them? I mean, I could just picture it, right? The, the Pharisees peeking through the window like, you look. No, I'm not looking. You look. He, gonna, he might see me. No, I'm not looking. You look. Guy's like, I'll look. Fine. And he's like looking over there, you know, or whatever. It's the little curtain sheet looking through. And they're in there cutting up. They're laughing. They're having a good time. And Jesus is comfortable. They're comfortable. I mean, it's just a good time. And, and they're like, Psh, you ain't going to believe this. He's acting. They look like they're enjoying it. These sinners and tax collectors, they like him. Y'all got to, and they're all probably peeking around, like, I got to see what's going on here. I mean, if social media was around back then, right, they'd be tweeting and Facebook, and y'all ain't going to believe this, who this guy's hanging around with, hashtag Pharisee life. (laughs) Hashtag this is about to get crazy. SMH shaking my head, you know. And, and, so, and so Jesus hears it. I, I mean, I don't know if he literally heard or he knew or what, but words gets back. Jesus hears this, and he says these words that are just awesome. He said, it's not the healthy, not the people who've got it figured out, not the people who know me. It's not the people who are close to me who need the doctor. He said, but the sick, the imperfect, the people who are far away from me, that's who need a doctor. In other words, I'm not, I'm not here for the people who think they have it right. I mean, you know, obviously Jesus died for all. I'm not trying to get too deep in, in golf, but you know what I'm saying. Jesus is here for the imperfect, for the sinners, the weak. As a matter of fact, Jesus specializes. His specialty is those people who are imperfect like me and like you. His specialty is the people who are flawed, the people with baggage, the people who are hurt, the people who have broken marriages, the people who are addicted. He specializes in the sinners. He specializes in those who need help, those who need healing, those who are hurting, and all the other H words. Um, see, chances are this, and this is so true, if Jesus were around today, if he was here at this service, and if you're far away from him, 
chances are he'd probably spend a lot more time around you than he would me. Which is so awesome and it speaks such volumes of who he is. Verse 13. So Jesus hears this and, and you got to love all the times throughout scripture when Jesus would put the Pharisees, you know, they try to trick him in their place. <laughs> and so he, he says, and he references again an Old Testament passage here. But go and learn, which means you miss, you miss something. You're missing what's going on here. In other words, here, here's, here's the priority. And this was offensive to them because, you know, nobody, we don't like, okay, let me, let me just break it down for you. Sit down here beside you. You missed it. I'm sorry. Here's what you need to do. You need to go and learn. And that's what Jesus was doing. He's telling them, you, you missed the point. Go and learn. He says, Hosea 6, 6 reference, I desire my priority is mercy, not sacrifice. My priority is mercy, not sacrifice. He says, for I have come to call the righteous, or I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners, the imperfect. Now, how many of you have ever, and I know some of y'all are like not comfortable at all when I do this, but you know, it just makes me feel better when I say like, raise your hand if you've ever, if you've just ever met someone that whether it's high school, middle school, sports team, college, work with you, they just they feel like they, they just got it all together. Like somebody comes to mind, you're like, no, no, they've just, everything they do, all right, nine people, all right. But you, you know what I'm talking about, people that just, they think they've got it all together, you can't tell them anything, they're the one-up guy, you tell a story, they've got a better story, or I did this, and blah, blah, blah. And so, and, and here's the thing, like you know that they don't, have it all together, but they don't know that they have it all together. It's like those American Idol uh, auditions, right? You know, the, the pre-show the pre where they just like show the clips of all the people auditioning that people weren't honest with them in their life, you know, told them they could sing, you know, nobody ever told them the truth and they get up there and they're like, how long you been singing? I've been singing in church. I've sang at uh, football games. I just born singing. And are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm awesome. They get up there and they sing and they've just nobody ever told them. They're tone deaf. They can't hear. They're just horrible singers. And then for that one moment, they're actually real and they just don't get it. And like, they don't want to accept that I can sing. I'm coming back next year. Y'all are crazy. You know, they, they tell the judges, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're missing out on. And so nobody ever told them the truth. And, and you can't really help that person, can you? Right? Until they're honest and real with themselves. You can't really help that person. I, I remember... A couple of years ago, I had a, uh, we have auditions for the band, which are a good thing uh, for, for all of you guys, and um, it was for a youth ministry, and they don't, they don't attend here anymore, so I can say this, but um, I had, a girl, I had a, a, a girl come and audition, and her mom was just telling me how awesome she was. I mean, she sung in school plays, I mean, she has just, uh, she sang at the national anthem, and at Christmas time, like, we just get around, she sang, I mean, just was going on and on and on and on. I was like, okay, you know, let's get up and sing. And I remember I'm sitting there beside her mom as, as the band's playing, and she's like, isn't she amazing? <laughs> I was like, are you hearing what I'm hearing? No, I didn't really say that. But I was like, what I said is, I, th I think she's probably served better, you know, in our VIP ministry. You know, she'd be awesome doing that. But, 
You know, people that, you're, when you're not honest with yourselves, when, when people can't accept that, it, it's hard to help that person. And so Jesus, he's here, and he's talking about, look, I've not come for the person who who's, feels like they've got it all figured out. He's like, I've come for the sinners, the imperfect people. That's who I want, the person with all the junk, the person with all the baggage, the person with all the imperfection. And here's why, and here's, I love this verse. It's so challenging, and it, we can just take this verse and see what God's trying to do in our lives and our imperfections and our weaknesses. If you, it's going to be on the screen. You don't even have to turn there. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And Paul writes this, and this was after he talks about the vision that um, somebody that he knew had, and, and he goes through, he just, oh, this is so good. Verse 9, he says, but he said to me, my grace, talking about said to him, is sufficient for you. And here's the key. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Think about that. In your weakness, that's where God is strong. And that's where his power manifests. In your sin, that's where God is powerful and manifests. And, and that's where mercy and that's where grace is shown. And so we should rejoice that through our weaknesses, God is made strong and his glory is displayed for other people to see. Because when people look at me and they look at what I used to be in high school and they look at where I am now, they're like, wow, can't really even see where that's coming. I remember Pastor Jeremy, he told us in staff meeting, he said, man, I went home the other weekend. He said, I was talking to this guy uh, that I knew from high school. He said, and we were sitting down and the guy asked me, he said, hey man, what you doing these days? He said, dude, I'm a pastor. He went, no, and then cussed. <laughs> He's like, who would have thought? Because we look at what we used to be and where we've come, but it's only through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and his power and our weaknesses that he's made strong and that other people see. And so that's where he says, look, in the imperfect and the perfect, that's my strength. In the imperfect and not the perfect, that's where I am strong. And so I want you to know this morning if you're here and you feel like you're the worst person on the planet, you feel like you're the worst sinner, you just, God can't use you, I want you to know that Jesus would probably spend more time around you than he would me. And so that's good news. And so you say, I'm weak, Jesus says, perfect. You say, I'm nobody, Jesus says, perfect. I'm a sinner, he says, perfect. I'm insecure, he says, perfect. I'm afraid, Jesus says, perfect. I'm the worst person in this room. I guarantee you, if we could compare lists, every person in here, I'd be at the bottom. And Jesus goes, I want you. I want you on my team. Because people, when they look at what you used to be and what you are now, they're only going to see me. Because nobody could change a life like that. And so this is what Paul says. Therefore, because of this, because of his power and his grace and what he does through our weakness, I, Paul, am going to boast gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. I'm going to boast about what Jesus Christ is and his strength and in my weaknesses. And we're going to change lives. Lives are going to be changed because of that. So I want you to hear this this morning. You need to know this. Maybe you forgot. God, he's chose you. He wants you. He longs for you. Baggage, sin and all. You may, you may be saying, look, there's sinners and there's tax collectors. I probably would have my own category. Great. Jesus would go to you first probably. 
He said, Mike, I want you to follow me. David, I want you to follow me. Michelle, I want you to follow me. Why would he choose such an imperfect person like Matthew and like James and like John? The same reason he chose us. Because it's in our weaknesses and in our imperfections that he is made perfect. So let's bow our heads this morning right where you're at. Thank you.